Okay, uh, here we are, plugged back into uh, Impact uh, Podcast Studio, our home here for the uh, Trading Colts. Uh, today on a long road, we're joined by uh, Adam Rose to my right, Alan Gaffney and Aaron Malone. So welcome gents, thanks for joining us here on the, uh, the long road and um, thanks, thanks for your attendance. Thank you. So, you, yeah, big uh, big week actually happening in Australia. Parramatta Penrith games. Just about to uh, jump up. I know Aaron, big fella. You're a uh, Parramatta supporter. What's yeah, your mate, feelings? It's been a little while, but um, I'm pretty confident. The Penrith dynasty's got to end sooner or later, so might as well be this weekend. 13 plus, mate. You were just plus. saying. Al, what do you reckon? You reckon? Oh, mate, I'd love, I'd love to see Parramatta win the game, mate, but I just can't see it at the moment. Despite the fact Parramatta have won two games this year. Um, but they're a very strong Penrith, a lot of depth. Probably one through to thirteen. They've they've got a, a, a superior player in that position, don't they? Really, yeah. when you look through it, yeah. maybe maybe the hookers are the, are the you know, Happy Coruscant and Reed Marty are fairly uh, fairly even. But anyway, I'm not yeah. sure where Coruscant's going next year, but uh, I think he's going to a good club. Uh, yeah, if you had, he's going back to see us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tiger Town, mate. Tiger Town won a premiership there. Yeah. Didn't he? <laughs> I'm not sure. Did he come yeah, from he South? Yeah, he did. Won yeah. a premiership at South. Yeah, 2014. Right, okay. Isaac Luke got uh, got wiped out of the game for uh, you know something minor, and uh, oh, Appy okay. got his uh, got the ring. So <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. All right, so um, basically the the long road, uh, as we all know, is a conversation around life uh, around the long road. Um, it takes to kind of get to your destination and um, and in all things that happen in between. So, yeah, uh, first kind of thing, we're, we're pretty excited to have Alan Gaffney here, who's um, who's a, a, a bit of a, uh, who's a large figure in the in the world of rugby. Uh, I know he's, he's very um, self-conscious or he's, he's kind of removed to say that, but yeah, you're, you, you are a bit of a, a big, um, a big, figure in the rugby community, Alan. Thanks for joining us. Um, but uh, there's a little more to you than just rugby, isn't there? So um, can you tell us, uh, I've obviously know a little bit of the background, uh, growing up in, a, in and around Redfern, um, how was that growing up as a young fella and your path into uh, commercial real estate and other things in your career? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I grew up in Redfern. It was a, I think at that point in time in the in the in the rating scale on the social system, I think Redfern was rated 150 out of 150 <laughs> uh, in the suburbs in Sydney. Um, but to be truthful, it's a childhood I would never replace. It was a it was a great childhood. Grew up with a lot of kids. Um, a lot of them went on to play some very 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 good uh, uh, rugby league. Um, you know, first grade when you down, first grade was South, first grade other clubs. I mean, you know, Bobby McCarthy uh, lived up the road. Um, and we used to play footy in the park every night. Um, I'd go home crying every night because, not that, not that they tried to hurt me, but they were just a couple of years, three years older than me. Um, but it was a good learning curve, great learning curve, and, and, and guys that looked after you. Um, and, you know, and, and we did things then that probably, you know, kids wouldn't do today, you know, swimming in the, in the lakes in Centennial Park. Um, you know, I wouldn't even think about it now because you're probably lucky to survive. <laughs> um, back in the day, that was what that was what we did. So you know, it was a good life. Um, played junior league as a kid, but then I went to school. Uh, in high school, I went to Sydney Boys High, um, who only played rugby union. Um, 
Do they still only play rugby, Al? Yeah, they only yeah. play rugby and they don't do that very well anymore. Uh, they don't even play in that first grade GPS competition anymore. Yeah, really? May I add, they're not a G- Sydney High is not a GPS school. Okay. Uh, it plays in the GPS comp. It's a CHS school. Um, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, um, okay. yeah. And used to play in, in both comps. Uh, used to play on the Wednesday in the CHS comp and GPS comp on the Saturday. Um, so, but I played rugby league until then, and um, but then you know it became it became very difficult. Um, I combined both until probably third year at school, third year of high school. Um, but beyond that, uh, when you started playing in the afternoons, um, you know, and games in in junior rugby league were also being played on the Saturday, uh, it just made it impossible. So, and for whatever reason, then I left school and. Uh, the coach we had at Sydney Boys High was <clears throat> uh, the first grade five eight um, at the time at or number ten at at Ramwick, uh, who was a fantastic coach and and a person we really respected and and liked, and quite a number of us I think out of that Sydney High side that won the GBS comp that year, I think ten or eleven of us went down and played at Ramwick the following year. Um, you know, it was great. It was a, a great time and, you know, I had a great time down there. Um, um, probably, and if I would have assessed myself now being a coach, I wouldn't have been a person I probably would have liked to have coached. Uh, I didn't sort of, uh, I didn't probably train the way I should have. I didn't sort of look after myself the way I should have. But uh, um, then again, you know, do I have regrets? Probably some, but uh, just had a great time. Um when I left school, I, I you know, like, like probably a lot of people back then, I went to the public service, but you know, that got the better of me very, very quickly. Um, the only thing that was beneficial there probably was the fact that I finished up in the property area. Um, and the property area of the government at that point in time was, a, <coughs> was an area that, where you gained enormous amount of knowledge, much more knowledge than you'd ever need in, in the commercial, <coughs> commercial area. Um, <coughs> you know, probably boring, um, work in some degree, but you know, acquisition of easements through properties and these types of things get very, very complicated and take and take years and years and years to complete. Um, but it gives you great knowledge of the game. And um, after spending so many years, uh, and then doing a valuation course, a real estate valuation course, which um, was an adjunct of Sydney University, uh, it was a four-year course. Um, which gave me evaluation degree. Um, not that I probably ever used it too much, but it always gave you that background and, and sort of understanding of how, how, how you arrived at values. Did the boys uh, try and poach you across to uni, mate, when you were playing for Rearwick? Uh, no, mate. No, I don't think they needed me. Uh, I think <laughs> okay. they were probably better players at uni. Um, you know, I was fortunate to play with very good players at Ramwick, um, but I don't think it was me contributing to, to winning anything. It was probably those around me. Um, then I went to private enterprise, and uh, it was pretty successful in private enterprise in the property area. Um, went out, and probably I was out there 20-odd years, but, um, but eventually the opportunity came to go overseas and coach. Um, wow. Now, from a... From an economic point of view, it probably wasn't a great decision, um, but I was just Jack. I, I'd become Jack of property. Um, 
it become too oh, I can't say it become too easy but it become I don't know it, it got to less the stage of cha- where less of a challenge than it, it was less of a challenge you know it yeah. was still very worthwhile monetary wise um, yeah. but I'd go in every day you know, I'd go into work at uh, not the hours that Rosie works uh, the hours <laughs> that you guys work but I'd be in the office at seven o'clock most mornings uh, but then the lunch the lunch, uh, uh, the old the lunch, lunch the liquid kind. lunch break, eh? Hey? The, the, <laughs> was it the whining and dining of yeah, clients? The, sh- the shiny ass lunch. The shiny ass lunch. Yeah, <laughs> every, yeah. virtually every day. And to be truthful, it, it wasn't good uh, for, for, for my wife Lorraine. Um, Probably you know, never I'd, enjoyed a good meal. I get home, yeah. I get home full of full of drink nearly every day. And, yeah. and when I got the opportunity to go overseas and coach, I, we just thought, you know, it's an experience, an adventure. Uh, so why not do it? And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be overseas for, um, I coached overseas for 13 years, um, majority of that time in Ireland, <coughs> yep. some of the time in England. Um, okay, well, we might just stop it there because I think that's that's nearly a story in itself. But um, obviously growing up and doing business around Sydney and, and you know, being in that kind of property, property sphere, We've seen a hell of a lot of different, you know, a hell of a lot of kind of different things or changes inside of, you know, Sydney itself, inside the the fabric of the place. Can you kind of give us an insight of what it used to be like compared to what somebody would kind of experience now? I mean, just in in general or around the town, because I think it would have been a fascinating place to work, you know, around around the time uh, you're working. A lot of things happening, a lot of, you know, like you say, with property getting, you know, disposed of and, and brought in and then there's other people coming in. It'd be, it'd be a fascinating time. And I'm sure no. you've got a couple of stories there of uh, possibly not some shady deals because, uh, you know, we, we're not, we're not, we don't put anyone in the hot water in the long road, but uh, something, you know, probably a couple of laughs or some larrikin kind of property developers. I'm sure you, you, I'm sure you met some few of them every single day. Yeah, mate, I've got to say that, you know, when I was working with the government, I think one of the funniest days, I went over to a, a, a very good friend of mine who, who started with nothing but finished up. Um, he was a multi by many, many, many times over now and, and totally self-made person. Um, I won't mention his name, but um, he's a guy that seriously, I, when I knew him, uh, he, he played with Manly and Moringa actually, so Rosie will be pretty happy about that. <laughs> um, and he's a guy that um, did wondrous things. And he finished, up, he finished up owning a building over in North Sydney on the corner of Miller Street and, and the Pacific Highway, um, North Point. Uh, which is a fairly significant building. Um, so when it was under construction, Terry asked me if I'd go over and have a look at it. So I did. Um, I don't know whether, in fact, he owned it at that point in time. Um, he might have even just been an agent back then, but he finished up owning the property in subsequent years. Um, so it was a Friday afternoon. We're doing an inspection of the building. Um, and we walked into this area. I just decided to you know, have a look at the have a look at the um, the uh, WC and just see how many cubicles there were and et cetera, et cetera. So we, we walked into this toilet on whatever level it was. Um, and there's no one around now because the people, have, they've knocked off. The builders have, on site of the construction workers have knocked off. So as we go into the toilet on whatever level it was, the building closed behind us. Uh, we look around, we go to get out and there's no, there's no latch on the inside door. So here we are wow. on a Friday afternoon at wow. 3 o'clock 
wondering how in the hell we are going to get out of this <laughs> toilet. Because um, we yelled and screamed and did whatever, but we, f- we fully knew that was useless and futile uh, because there was no one around. Um, so we both had on uh, very nice shoes, which turned out to be not so nice by the end of the n- time we kicked the door kicked the door, <laughs> had to kick the door in and created a small hole which we ripped into a larger hole and that allowed Terry to crawl through the door and open the latch on the outside. Oh, wow. No, they're just little experiences in life that sort of come back. I, I, don't, I don't remember that from day to day, but when you sort of mention little things that happen. Yeah, but I think, I think the industry has always been a, a pretty good industry in the city uh, where I was. And, you know, I did a lot of work in the suburbs at the time and mainly I concentrated on industrial initially. Um, and industrial took me over many, many parts of Sydney and, and, and areas that I had no living idea about. <clears throat> and when I began, I think one of the great learning curves um, that I was given very, very early in the piece um, and being virtually an inner city boy. Um, I was told that when I started in private enterprise, we, we used to do Monday morning inspections. So we'd go around Sydney and look at all the new listings that you got. Maybe not all, because you couldn't obviously go from the south to the, to the west to the, to the north. So we'd take, it might be in certain areas, it might be South Sydney through, through the inner west out to the far west. Um, but what they did in, in hookers and part of the learning curve was <coughs> you're doing the, you're leading the inspection, you're driving the car, but you can't take, you can't take the instructions with you and you can't use a map. You've got to learn which way you're going before we leave. As the crow flies, As, okay, and, yeah. And the way you go. Couldn't do and, that now, mate. And what a way to learn to get around Sydney. It was absolutely fantastic, as simple as it was. Um, you know, and you're travelling around around the South Sydney area. I couldn't get around there now. I wouldn't have a clue. You I'll, know, put, I I'll put Big Azza on the spot here, mate. Do you know what a Gregory's is? Nope. Oh, yes. Yeah. We, didn't, we didn't have those sorts of things in cars. Uh, so it, it used to be a book that you used to open up and yeah. it would show you the street. Street, oh, street, street, street directory. Street directory. Street directory. It was called yeah. Gregory's, yeah. yeah. It changes every day now in the city. But you weren't yeah. allowed to touch any of that, so you just had to drive and yeah. you had to work out where you were going. So the first day I remember, I mean, I was around South Sydney area, but then I was out Lidcombe and Auburn and out the back of Smithfield. Yeah. I mean, Smithfield and Wetherill Park didn't exist mm. uh, back oh, yeah. when I first got into commercial real estate. Yeah. Um, so those areas have grown like enormously over over a period of time and and probably a lot of people listening to this this podcast wouldn't understand where Wetherill Park was either or how to get there but you know it's a it's a burgeoning area and, and has been for many many years so you put some you put together some fairly significant kind of deals um, uh, obviously around those subjects you know those suburbs, those those new opening up ones um, is there anything is there any kind of one deal that you you're particularly proud of putting it together that they might have you know what I mean that you you thought that was a good idea or it really helped you know your, the community and the client or Sydney kind of moving forward yeah when I was in the government we did one uh, obviously it wasn't financially beneficial because you're working with the government but it was a it was a very large deal uh, for the Bureau of Statistics as they were at the time um, and without sort of getting the technological things you know they wanted they wanted large floor space they wanted clear span whereby there weren't any pillars on the floor so it was a it was a um, 
the service area in the middle of the building, effectively, where the lifts and toilets were, um, so that they could effectively use the property. Um, unfortunately, at that point in time, not unfortunately, but <clears throat> rents were pretty cheap in Sydney back in those days, and I would have been talking back in probably uh, would have been uh, probably late 70s. Um, and properties were on the market or rental market for very, they were very extremely cheap as you'd, as you'd think in this day and age. Um, and people were really clamouring for, for tenants. Mm. And the Bureau of Statistics uh, needed space of 10,000 square metres, which, which was a lot of space back in those days. And particularly when there was so much space for, for let. Um, so, you know, a lot of people were trying to wine and dine you and do these types of things. Mm. but. Um, we found a building that was actually connected with um, the Anglican Church um, uh, behind Town Hall Station, um, St Andrews, behind St Andrews Cathedral, yep. and it was actually owned by the church. Oh, wow. um, but a lot of pressure came elsewhere, and it was undoubtedly the best building for the, the stats, um, and that's the building they eventually when they when they saw it that was a building they definitely wanted but then government interference came um, from high up within the department that I worked for uh, where obviously an owner of a building uh, in the heart of the city uh, which is a very 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 well known building um, they were using any measure they could um, to get stats to, sway, into there to, to get stats nice, into their yeah. building Get a nice um, secure tenant for that long, yep. But, you know, whilst the rent was cheaper per per square foot, the way well, they used to measure it in those days, or per square metre in this day and age, uh, we would have needed an extra, I think it was uh, 10,000 square feet or 1,000 square metres extra yeah. um, space because there were 25, 27 pillars per floor, yep. whereas the space we were going to put them into in stats... Uh, sorry, in St Andrew's House was clear span space. So they could effectively utilise the space very, very effectively where it was, would have been a lot more difficult yep. in, a, in, a, in a convoluted area that we were... Anyway, uh, despite the interference from very, very high up in Canberra, uh, we won the case for stats and they went into the building they wanted to go into. Nice. nice. Very, very good. So the goodies won at the end. The goodies, the good guys won at the end. No? Fair dinkum. Um, so, and obviously going from government to um, uh, to private enterprise, um, putting together deals, what was, you know, obviously how you did it or what do you think was the main ingredient of you getting your success? Was it was there one thing you could put in, put into it? Was it, you know, the, the fact that you worked hard on the other guy or the fact that you'll you got on better with them or that they trusted you? Which, which, which yeah, do you think? I, I think a lot of that um, is the fact you've got to be trusted. Um, I think that goes without saying. You've got to be open and honest and, and, and everything's got to be the way it is. And I think that generally is the way it is in, in commercial real estate. I think the majority of people in the city, um, I don't know what things are like now. I've been out of, the, I've been out of commercial real estate for 20 odd years now. Um, you know, I enjoyed every bit of it, but I think you've just got to get the, um, the, um, uh, what is it, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, you get something, you get a connection with, with certain individuals, um, yep. 
who effectively are your client uh, at that point in time. Um, yep. Well, they're not your client by, by the strict definition. Your client is the person who owns the building or mm. whatever it is um, because they're the people paying your fee. Um, but, you know, th- those tenants, and, and I was very, very fortunate over time. I, I had some great connections with a lot of, a lot of uh, companies that uh, needed big space. Um, I had a great connection with Caltech slash Ampol. Uh, we sold a number of oil refineries um, and they were difficult, obviously, with all the pollution in the in in the ground. Um, they were they were a very complicated sales, but um, not that that involved me too much. Not having the technical expertise at all to to worry about those sorts of things. But you know, when you had when you had the um, those sort of companies that had a bit of faith in 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 what you were doing, um, and I was very fortunate, I suppose, over time. And I think you've just got to be open and honest and and forthright in the way you tell things and tell it as it is. Yeah, it's one of those things where I think it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, it's just a lesson in life, isn't it? You know what I mean? You're better off to be upfront and, you know, and and transparent because in the end it will it will make your career a hell of a lot better than if you're just looking <coughs> for the next sale or the next deal. So. Yeah, I think you're right, absolutely right there. I think you've got to be open and honest. You know, if you can't handle it, if it, you know, you can't under, under whatever circumstances they may be. You just got to be frank and open, and, and and do what you do. Okay. Was this something that changed? So I'm going to ta- change tack to um, to uh, your rugby coaching career now. So obviously you've you've been given an opportunity to go over to Ireland. Um, that is something. Being open and honest, did that help you with in your coaching career and, and developing relationships with players? Yeah, I think it did. Um, I, I suppose I was always a person who wanted to be fairly friendly with people, and you know, um, um, but I, yeah, I, I think it, it did have an effect, um, and it led me very much into when I was coaching. It was it was it was collaboration. I mean, you are the coach and you are the boss, I suppose. But but in essence, you've got to have a you've got to have a relationship with the people you're coaching, uh, albeit uh, whether they be Colts players, you know, under twenty one, or whether they be they be professional players. That, which happened later in my career. Um, you've got to have that, that, that again, that, that, that frank discussion with people. Um, you want to be, you've got to be their mate on the one hand, but on the other hand, you've got to be, you've got to be tough and you've just got to accept decisions that are made. It's not always going to please everyone, um, but that's just life. That's the way, that's the way it is. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes tough making that decision. And, uh, I think you know some of the hardest things I've had to do in my life is to walk up to people and say you're dropped. Now, in the professional area, particularly, where you know that has an impact on on people's lives uh, or can. Um, okay. And then when you eventually terminate people's well, not terminate their contracts, but when a contract comes to an end, you, you know you may not elect to renew it. But you just still got to be open and honest and and frank with the person. So how, how did you find that, Al? Being the bad cop, because oh, I know. Um, yeah, I, I really struggle with it myself. I struggle with it very much, Rosie. <clears throat> very much. Um, you know, I've got to, I've got to get myself organised for it. I just can't yeah. come out, and I've got to, I've got to prepare myself, and it may be twenty four hours in advance. I just, whereas some people, can, it's, you know, it becomes pretty easy to, mm. uh, but not to me. Very, very difficult. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose uh, obviously, uh, Rosie uh, and Big As. Um, there's there's times in in kind of what in your working careers that you've got to kind of come out a bit heavy, you know what I mean, or just have have that open <coughs> and honest discussion. Um, have you have you blokes found that obviously, Aaron? 
Um, yeah, it is tough. I mean, as Al said, you want to be the mates first and then at the end of the day, you've still got a job to do, which is hard. But um, I think they appreciate it. A bit of honest feedback always helps too, you know. Like, there's no point just ripping into someone for no reason. If you give them a, a few opportunities and, you know, we could do things this way or that way, if they still want to change, well, I suppose that's all you can do. Really. It, is, it is tough conversation though. Time to put the pepper on. Yep. yep. No problem. Yep. <laughs> Time to put the pepper on. Okay. Who, sorry, who, who did you coach we... in Ireland? Okay. Uh, I initially went over and coached Leinster, um, basically centred around Dublin. Had two years there. Then I went down the southwest and coached Munster, yeah. uh, which operate. They're a, they're a dual <laughs> city team. They operate from Cork and Limerick. Where was uh, the Guinness better, mate? Um, Guinness, <laughs> Guinness is not the answer down the southwest. Um, no, it's not. No, it's it's the answer on the on the east coast. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and I spent three years down there. Uh, then I came back and worked with Eddie Jones here for twelve months. Uh, then went went to Saracens in England for two years. Uh, then went back to Ireland and spent my last four years there working with the national side. Awesome. And and some work with Leinster with with Michael Checker. Very good. How'd you find the Irish culture? I love the Irish. Um, you know, I think you know I, I come from Irish heritage, um, and I think that you know, in my, in my drinking over the years, I suppose that has come through. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, you know, they're they're a great they're a great people. Uh, I just love the Irish. I think now I I go back. I mean, we would we'd go back hopefully every year um, but if not you know at worst every two years um, we've got so many friends over in Ireland um, we've retained you know and we left there 2000 and I can't even think 2000 after the World Cup in 2000 and what year was it? 11 11 World Cup World Cup in New Zealand 2011 um, and we came directly home after the World Cup but you know, it's 11 years ago, but we've still got an enormous amount of friends over there. Yeah. They're pretty loyal, aren't they, the Irish? You know? Oh, they're great people. They're yeah. absolutely great people. And, you know, I just, just off my cap. There's a few of them in Sydney now, too. Oh, there's yeah. a few. Oh, there's yeah, a few. Especially on St. Patrick's Day. Well, no, <laughs> I, got, I got involved, actually, with a uh, many, many years ago, uh, probably, I don't know, five, six years ago. Um, they were trying to set up a, a rugby club in, in Sydney. Um, called Sydney Irish, uh, which they named it. And the fortunate thing, uh, they, they, they got hold of me and I sat down with them and, and we helped them out and um, got a connection with Ramick, um, where I obviously had contacts from having played there and coached there for many, many years. But they finish up, they now play their, their home games are actually on Ramick's training field at Latham Park up in South Coogee. And they trained on one of Ramick's training grounds out... Uh, out the back of Maruba Junction. So the Randwick Island uh, connection is strong. Wow. Yeah, nice. I, I just think I just think it, it could have been done a lot better with with Ramick losing their club. Um, you know, you definitely had with the Irish. You definitely had a group of people that would have drunk there every day. But at that point in time, for whatever reason, um, they just thought it wasn't a great idea. Um, and the club now is bankrupt and closed and uh, whatever it is. Uh, or yeah. not bankrupt, but yeah. um, virtually just had to close the doors because of lack of patronage. What's, um, uh, obviously, coaching, there's a lot of personalities, you know what I mean? You get, you get, you're going to get the full kind of bucket of personalities in there. But 
There's got to be some characters, and especially in Ireland or, you know, in Australia. Well, who's probably – give us your top three funniest guys to coach, it's Just you know, that are, that are just great people but have got a real keen sense of humour. Mate, the, the funniest man I've ever, ever coached is a guy named Donegar O'Callaghan, uh, <clears throat> who was a long-standing Irish international. Uh, when I first got to Munster in 2002, uh, Donegar was thinking of leaving Munster uh, because he couldn't cement a spot in the in the top team and I can understand that because they had a lot of depth um, I think in the 2003 tour of the lines I think Munster sent nine forwards oh. so so a guy out of the second well sorry he was on the bench actually made the lines um, wow. so it was a pretty strong uh, that's a hell of a yeah that's a hell of a club isn't it you know what I mean? um, yeah so they did have a lot of depth um, but Donegal Callaghan was a was a very very funny man, and he's now uh, he he never knew he was never he was never educated as far as I mean he went to a good school, but he didn't worry about that education. So Donegal left school reasonably early, um, but he's now you know a star on TV over in in Ireland on kids shows and this and that. And he's just got this way with people. The things that you know I remember my first game ever coaching in Munster. We played Clinetley in Wales, um, and we went down there, and directly after the game, <clears throat> we were all invited back to, to eat, uh, but we were getting a plane back home that night. We weren't staying in Wales. We were flying directly back to Ireland. Um, so I went to the Clinetley people and, <clears throat> and told them, no, we um, apologised, but said we couldn't stay. We just wanted to get on the road and get to the airport and, and get out as soon as we could. Um, so we got on the road, and we took off, and... I just said to the manager at the time, look, I don't care about what they eat. I don't, I don't care. I just, yeah. they've just got, we've just got to stop and fill their bellies with food. Yeah. And we just happened to find a Maccas in the middle <laughs> of nowhere in Wales at about 10 o'clock on a, on a Saturday night. Nobody around, nobody. So we pull up, we pull up at the McDonald's, get out of the bus and they just make a, a beeline and, and I sort of came in last with a couple of the staff and, and there it is and these people are overwhelmed they don't know what's hit them there's, th- there's 30, 40 people oh there would be, 40 people in yeah. there ordering burgers and I thought to myself I just said the staff pull back, let the players get fed first so I just wandered back outside and I just saw the, there was a, a drive through and, and cars were cars were lined up and sort of just went round the corner. I just walked to the corner of the building, looked round the corner, and there was a car, a car, and there was Donica O'Callaghan <laughs> piggybacking, like named John Fogarty, who was, a, who was a international hooker, and they were third in line. So car moved forward, they moved forward, and then they get their opportunity because they realised if they got in the queue inside, it was going to take a while. But they, so they thought in their own way, which I just thought was a fantastic sense of humour and the way they they adjust things. And they're very very funny people. You know, they they turned up to training one day up in Limerick, and they were both Cork guys. And they and I looked I looked across and and there was this. These people dressed up in a in a in a bull sort of a bull outfit, um, and they were just running around the field, totally hidden, not not being able to see their faces. But and then they hit me with the cost of hiring the hiring the 
Uh, the suit. The, yeah, the suit. <laughs> <coughs> they, they just keep getting up the little things that um, were very, very, you know, and it, it's hard to go back. I don't know. I can't, I can't think of all the incidents, but they just had me on my toes all the time. They'd be, <laughs> they'd, they'd be forever at you. you know, forever they, at you. They'd, they'd go and sit, Sean Fogarty and... And Donegan went and sat on Santa's knee for Christmas and sent me a card, <laughs> wishing because they said they said Santa was me. That's what they used to call me, yeah, Santa, Claus. Santa, Santa Claus. So the three of us together. So, um, but they were just always up the little things that, you know, individually they may not seem that funny, and there are certain things I wouldn't even talk about. But I may I may after this, but I'm not going to say it here. Yeah, fair enough. So, no, that sounds awesome. Like an amazing experience, you know what I mean? And those they, are the kind of... They never got up the things that hurt or damaged anybody. Yeah. It was just for their their own amusement. And and I just thought it was it was terrific humour. Wow. Wow. Uh, all right. Um, probably let's change a bit of tact on that one. How um, is... How was coaching with Eddie Jones? Um, well, I, I'm, I'm a guy who has coached Eddie, coached with Eddie, and coached against Eddie. So I've got the, I've got the triumvirate there. Not many blokes can say that, mate. No, I, you know, I remember when I first started coaching at Ramick, Eddie was a, Eddie was a, you know, he was probably, uh, I don't know if he was in first grade that first year, maybe he was, um, but not long thereafter, Kearns, Kearnsey came in um, and took Eddie out of that first spot. But Eddie, Eddie was a great player, there's no doubt. He just wasn't, he just didn't have the size. Um, and Kearnsey finished up taking over um, the Wallabies role um, because he was a, you know, a big man. I mean, I mean Phil was 110 kilos, uh, whereas Eddie would have been 80, 80-odd. Yeah. Um, international level just couldn't survive with Eddie at the size he was but Eddie was a great player uh, irrespective of what people may say he was a very very good player um, you know got the better of a ringer a number of times as Rosie probably <laughs> shots fired shots fired <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, um, then coaching Eddie that, that was fine um, not that I coached him you know, obviously Eddie being a forward and me being pr- primarily a backs coach but um, but then obviously I become a head coach but um, but then um, when we went to Eddie rang me when I was um, I was still in where was I I can't even remember um, I was still in Munster um, and Eddie rang me and wanted to know whether I wanted to come home and get involved with the Australian side with him uh, in 2005 at that point in time, you know, I'd been in Ireland five years um, and I thought, you know, maybe an opportunity to go home because I hadn't seen the kids uh, apart from holidays. You know, I'd, I hadn't seen the kids for five years, effectively, um, apart from they'd come over for a couple of weeks at holidays, if yeah. possible. And I just thought it was a good opportunity and plus, you know, the, the lure of being involved with the national side was Pretty prestigious, was but, really, isn't it? But unfortunately, uh, it didn't work out. Um, we started that... We started that period very well. I think we won our first five internationals, but then we went through a very bad, a very bad period, and were flogged by uh, New Zealand out here. Um, ran them close four tries all over in Eden Park, <clears throat> but they got us on the goal kicking on the day. Um, we beat South Africa here, but they beat us over there twice, 
at altitude. Um, not that that was an excuse, but you know, we should have done better. Um, and people then started calling for you know putting a lot of question marks on Eddie. And we went at the end of season two to the UK. Um, and Eddie, to give me shoe, because he was preparing for the World Cup in 2007, and this is still only the end of 2005, <clears throat> he rested a number of guys for that tour. Yep. Didn't take them because he didn't think they could. They had the ability of going on that tour, coming back and starting Super <coughs> Rugby in the February and, and going through until the 2007. So guys like Sterling Mortlock, um, Billy Young, these sort of guys who were instrumental to the performance of Australia didn't tour. Um, and Larkham didn't tour. Um, so, you know, we went over with a, with a, yeah, yeah, still handy side. Um, very handy back line, but, but really struggled probably uh, forwards-wise at that point in time. Had some very good players, uh, but our scrum didn't really hold up against the might of uh, the scrummaging in the UK. And I think we had penalty tries against us against Wales. Um, may have had one against England, I'm not too sure, but we just got... <coughs> Effectively, out scrummage. Yeah, okay. um, and then we come home from that too. And after we were beaten by Wales in our last international, <coughs> you know, we had a kick to 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 draw the game late in the game, um, which was an easy kick at conversion, um, which was missed. Um, Eddie was told the following day that he was to be sacked. Um, yeah. Yep, tough call. Yeah, so Eddie was sacked immediately. Uh, I hung around with all a lot of the other staff until they worked out who was going to become the replacement to Eddie. Uh, but when that decision was made, you know, <coughs> some of us went, some some of them stayed. Um, but it opened up another opportunity. Um, I then went over to Saracens in England, um, coached over there for a couple of years. But that was a deal that was organised with Eddie. Eddie had a relationship with a with the um, the manager over there uh, who he who was his manager when he coached the Brumbies. Um, And it was organised that I'd go for two years. Eddie would coach Queensland for two years, which was a a done deal. Um, And after two years, Eddie would go over and educate his daughter, uh, Chelsea, over in England. And I'd just move on. Uh, Or possibly stay working with him. Eddie didn't last two years in Brisbane because he got sacked. (laughs) He got sacked after three or four months. Um, so he came to England early, uh, but said, I'm not going to interfere. I want you to complete your two years, which I did. Yep. Um, then sort of Eddie came in and I moved back to Ireland, um, which was a, which was a great move actually. Um, cause that's when I eventually finished with the national side in Ireland. We won the world cup. Uh, not the world, we won the six nations, but working with Eddie, um, Eddie's a good guy, there's no doubt. And there's a lot of people out there who would be sniggering at me saying this, uh, but Eddie deep down is a good person. He can be very difficult to work with. And if Eddie's got no faith in you, um, it's gonna be a long, hard road. Um, yeah. <laughs> it'll be tough um, because he won't, he'll be <laughs> relentless. Um, he's, got, he's got strange working habits. Uh, virtually 24 hours a day, nearly as bad as Rosie. Uh, but Eddie, <laughs> Eddie would be up, and you know you, you could be lying in bed, and you'd hear a rustle, rustle under the door at four o'clock, and 
you just had to get up to see what it was. <coughs> Pushing and, notes and they'd under be the instruc- door. And they'd yeah. be instructions. Yeah. So you had to have, you, your first meeting the next morning was 6.30, and you had to have in detail what the training program was, why it was, and how it was going to run and work with the system, what was in place. So... Yeah, sleep, yeah, 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 sleep deprived. Rosie uh, would have been Rosie would have been fine with this one. No <laughs> sleep. I need to ask you a quick question now. So I believe in planning, but when they say, "Oh, yeah, we're looking for the World Cup in four years," and you know we're training for the Olympics in eight years, and that that much foresight. I mean, when they say they're resting guys two and a half years out from a World Cup, do you agree with, with that? That was only a year and a half out. A that year was two thousand. So a year and a half. Yeah, it was. It was the end of 2005, so yeah. the World Cup was going to be early, what, mid-2007. But a year and a half break, do you? Because <clears throat> I look at a lot of sports now, and, you know, the Aussie cricketers are resting guys, and, I mean, I mean I what's ju- going I ju- wrong? I just think with Eddie at the time, these guys have been around for a long, long time. Billy Young was getting on. Uh, he was a very good player for Australia, but he was getting on. And I don't know whether, in fact, the end of season two, which was going to be a grind, after a long... Um, long domestic time season, at home. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't have disagreed with it. You know, I, I, I'm not saying I necessarily would have done that way, uh, but I couldn't disagree with it. Um, and Larkham, I think, needed, he needed a break. Um, now Bernie had been playing a lot of rugby at that point in time, and obviously he was one of our, our very, very important players. Um, um, but, but I look you know, at the sports stars of yesteryear, you know, you've got Bernie and all the, all the cricketers and, you know, Border, and they played forever. You know, yeah. they, they would never have missed a game ever. And I just look at the, you know, the culture and I, I, a lot on society, I believe. Um, you know, we're losing a lot of the... Yeah, I, I know what you're saying about the cricket, but at the same time, Border wasn't playing in India. No. Um, you know, they're now playing all over the world 12, yeah. months, 12 months of the year. Yeah. Um, that, wasn't, that wasn't the case once. You played in the summer and that was... Yeah. You know, so some, some people went over, some people went well. over and played in England, you know, and, <coughs> and learnt the technique of playing on soft tracks over in England. Understand yeah. that. Uh, but these guys, you know, obviously the, the monetary rewards are out there at the present time. And they, yeah. um, but at the same time, I, I hate hearing them whinge about the fact, you know, we're, we need a rest. Well, don't tell me you need a rest. I mean, you're the one who's electing to go overseas and, and play in, that, yeah. in the professional game. I, and yeah. I don't doubt the fact that you're going to earn money and good luck to you. Uh, but don't come back and then winch about it. Yeah, well, and then no, put it, and then put up your hand and say I need a rest. Yeah, and I, you I, took you know, the extra work to get the extra dollars. Yeah, you know to further your career and don't come back at, to home and say I've had too much or yeah. I need yeah. a break or mm. I need a. Yeah, I want time to come home out. and spend time <coughs> with my wife. Well, well, yeah, great mate. Yeah, <laughs> you've made the election. Yeah, yeah. Book, um, book in a Sunday. Yeah, so you know, I think I think there's individually, Rosie. I don't think. All players should be given 18 months out from the World Cup, but I think the the guys that he selected, um, I think probably deserved a break. Yeah. Um, you know, they back in those days, you know, the Super Rugby was, yeah, you know, you're not playing as many games as you are now, but as soon as Super Rugby was over, you were back to playing club rugby. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those guys finished their finished their seasons <coughs> playing club rugby. Um, I remember back in the day when the rugby league players they used to get the early shower as a reward. Not not three months off a rugby tour or whatever. Yeah. You know. <laughs> oh yeah, it's yeah. I, I yeah. I think there are probably a number of reasons. You know, training is a lot lot harder than once it was. Um, yeah. um, anyway, I, I, I'm not defending it. I'm not. But I, I could understand why he did. 
But it was it was a very costly decision yeah. because he didn't have his job. How do you think he's gone uh, talking to jobs? How do you think he's gone uh, with the uh, with England? He's done a tremendous think, job. Oh, there. You know, he started started like a house on fire. Uh, won what the best part of twenty on the trot. Um, but I think he's had a very very tough time over the past two years. I mean. <clears throat> to finish where they have in the Six Nations in the past two years would be very disappointing for England. Um, you know, I think they might have finished fourth one year and, and maybe third or equal third another, uh, which would be which we t- would be tough for the English people to accept. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't personally, and I've said this to Eddie, I don't enjoy the way they play. Um, you know, I think I think when they come out here and, and won the series out here, um, you know. They were probably a bit more a bit more open, but then again, I don't think you know. Uh, I wasn't particularly happy with the way Australia were playing either. So you know, it was a, it was a, it was like a game of chess. Um, yeah, I th- I think they were very structured now, um, but then again, that's the way that's the way uh, teams seem to be going. You know, national sides, uh, the only sides that don't seem to be going totally structured down that way are France and and Ireland, and they're probably two of the. The top nations um, in the world at the present time, and and probably both will do very well in the World Cup. Mm. Um, the other, to me, is a bit too predictable. Um, the way they're playing, as whereas Ireland and Ireland and France, to a great extent, uh, are less predictable than the others. Mm. Playing open footy, so uh, that obviously um, uh, segues to my next uh, kind of um, theme or next question. What's the state of the? What is the state of rugby in Australia now? You think? How's the how's the game travelling? Personally, from my perspective, and I, I mate, I, I I don't like the way it's going at the present time. I think club rugby in Sydney, uh, which is all I can comment on, is 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 going pretty strongly. Um, um, obviously, they haven't got their super their super rugby players uh, for the majority of the year uh, anymore. Um, and once upon a time, they had them for a lot, lot more of a season than, than they do now. Uh, there are more games. Um, but that being said, I, I think uh, a lot of kids are being given opportunities uh, this day and age, and I think you know, kids are coming through. Um, I think at, ev- at any level, we've got to get better coaching. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think that coaching has got to start at an early age. Um, and I think it's fantastic with with kids playing juniors and um, and and I and I take my, my, my cap off uh, to parents who become involved because it's the only way the kids are going to get out on the field. Um, but at some point in time, we've also got to realise that uh, we've got to if some of these kids are going to go on, uh, we've got to give these kids um, good education in the game. Um, now a lot of that rests with. Um, the governing body in, in Rugby Australia and also with the states um, and I think we've got to get more out there and it's not when I'm saying that I, I, I don't think it's we have to go and necessarily educate the kids we've got to educate the coaches yeah. which I don't think we do um, we don't do enough of it um, as much of it well you know I'm, I'm not involved anymore um, but I remember when I was last leaving uh, Australian rugby, um, one of the things we wanted to do was go out into the country and, and, and coach the coaches. Uh, we were virtually told at the time there wasn't any money. Uh, well, you know, that to me defeats the purpose of what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, 
I think there's too much. We've got to coach the kids. No, we've got to coach the coaches. And once we coach the coaches and help the coaches, and I think the majority of coaches would do want to help, we've just got to be able to get, well, go out there and give it to them. Really? <coughs> no, I went with a mate of mine who asked me, and it wasn't through it wasn't through one of the governing bodies, but a mate of mine asked me recently, and I went up and did some work um, up in the far northwest. Um, I flew into Dubbo and and went on and you know and it was great. I, I really enjoyed the weekend. It was fantastic working with twenty, thirty coaches who who just want to improve. And you know, s- some were basic, but some had some had you know had potential. Um, but we've got to constantly try and work on that and and help those help those people develop. And we help them develop. We then develop the game and and with with the kids involved or whatever level. Yeah, well, it's kind of like making a cake without self-raising flour, is it, really? It's not going to rise unless, you know what I mean, unless you get this recipe right. And I think, uh, obviously, that coaching of the coaches and supporting them, giving them a better education so then they can part it on because you you can't be everywhere. <coughs> no, you can't be, and you, and you don't expect. I mean, as I said, the, the game doesn't exist without parents or or people in, in the junior game, and, and it's fantastic <coughs> that people are involved, but... We've got to be able to go and give those people a hand to make to make it a bit easier for them. And now in this training school that we're um, you know we're kicking off, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to start doing all this podcast and 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 share this knowledge um, from all walks of life, like you said about um, you know coaching out in the bush and getting thrown in your face with money and all that sort of stuff and. You know that's why I want you to be in here today. That's why I've moved as into operations manager at Caden, and um, you know I um, I want to give everything that I possibly got into this into this thing. And, and you know, having guys like yourselves in this podcast, I think we can really help and um, you know share that information out there. Um, you know this isn't just about me. This is about a. A, a, a lot of people at the front end that can really help these kids yep. develop and, and and get somewhere in their life. You know, yeah. So. Um, but it's important, and, and listening to your stories exactly, you know the way that I want to go this, and and um, look at the mistakes hopefully before we make them. You know what I mean? Because um, I, I agree with you so much. If you don't coach right, or you don't set your company up right, or you know if it's if it's not right at the top, yep. then you're just setting yourself up to fail. Yeah, I I totally agree with that, Rosie. Totally agree. And and the more we can help kids in the in the training area, um, and helping those kids along, uh, the more chance of success we've got. Yeah, nice. Nice. All right. Well, um, as uh, do you have any uh, any questions for Al in relation to uh, his uh, background? Yeah, I've got a couple. Just on rugby. Growing up in the um, mid two thousands, I was a league player, but I used to know all the Wallabies, and now I'd struggle to know a couple of them off the top of my head. Do you think that's a state of rugby league being a lure for the young rugby players in Sydney, or do you think it's a bigger problem? Um. I've got the situation. I probably know more rugby league players and rugby union players now myself. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's been a lot of a lot of interest lost in the game. There's a lot of friends of mine who would who would be out watching the Super Rugby and and, and watching internationals now don't bother. Um, I think a lot of them become disillusioned a bit with the game. Um, I'm not trying to knock the game at all. Um, but I just I just like it to go back to play the way Australia have been good at playing, and and that was that was attacking attacking the opposition and and playing even even back in the days of the 70s and the 80s, <clears throat> you know, 
we we probably didn't have the best sides uh, back in those days, but we had we had a way we wanted to play the game. Um, and and to me, uh, you know, even going into the nineties when Australia were strong, um, and had some very very good teams back in those days, I just like to see. Yeah, and it's a very simple way of me saying that. You know, you've got to still base it upon where where your strengths are. Um, but yeah, I just think we've lost a lot of our uh, the direction. Um, and the direction I'd like to see is is more attacking rugby and and having an understanding of what we're trying to do. Um, to me, it's a, it, it half becomes a kick fest. Um, <laughs> now, two games ago when they brought Bernard Foley back. Um, who I will openly admit is a very good friend of mine. Um, I thought he added a hell of a lot to that Australian side. Now, Bernard's been over in Japan now for three years, um, three or four years, um, but he come back and, and, and took the ball to the line again. Well, I haven't seen an Australian 10 do that for, uh, for some time. Mm. Um, and that's to me, is the only way we can attack. Um, you've got to have good skill level to be able to do it. Um, but then again, that's 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 part one of the of the equation. So with it, mate, I, I think I think rugby leagues turned turned around yeah. uh, without doubt. You know, it's a quick game, um, it's a good game, um, and to be truthful, I'd rather watch a rugby league game than a rugby union game at the moment. And you know, I never thought I'd say that again uh, after all these years, but <clears throat> that's probably what I am saying. Um, you know, I'm I'm not. I haven't lost hope for rugby. Uh, I just hope it comes back, and uh, I really hope it does because it is a great game. The thing that strikes me about rugby, uh, uh, the, the two differences between the games is the people. So um, whilst rugby league is still a very, very working-class game, the amount of people that you bump into on the, in the rugby circles, and I'll freely admit that I'm a, a rugby league tragic um, and played it uh, and watched it my whole life, but the difference between rugby people and rugby league people is chalk and cheese. Um, they're, very, they're very focused, rugby people are very focused on the game and the community and the <coughs> people within that club. Rugby league, it's it's from my perspective, it's more about what my Johnny did or what my little Billy did or you know uh, how I used to go. It's not so much like that in rugby union. That's been my ex- my experience probably over the last three to four years since I've been involved um, with Rosie and the and the young guys training. So that's one I think one strike in the uh, in the rugby union corner is that you've got a lot of quality people. Uh, you are suffering. Obviously, the game is suffering from the amount of exposure it does get because you know it's it's on a subscription model now yep. uh, with Stan. Um, it's not free to air, so I think it's something for the uh, governing body to really have a look at. How to you know? And it's a terrible. It's going to be a terrible statement. It's going to sound <laughs> terrible, but how do they make rugby sexy again? I'm not sure. I think, but yeah, they I, really need to make it more appealing. Mate, I think you're right. They've got to make it more appealing. Um, I mean, it, obviously, what what happens on the track, um, and if you're successful, that makes it more appealing. But if you're not successful, uh, it makes it less appealing. Um, you know, we've 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 got to start playing. You know, I think we've got the ability there. What what I can see, there is ability. Um, I'm not saying necessarily of what's in the in the in the run-on side at the present time, but, the, but there is ability in Australia. Um, I personally think, and 
<clears throat> I could be totally wrong here. I think we've made it too easy for players to go overseas and be still eligible to play for Australia. I don't know if it's still the rule in, in New Zealand, for example, but if you're not if you're not playing in New Zealand, playing within New yeah. Zealand either in the in the in in the in Super the Rugby, yeah. um, you're not eligible to play for New Zealand. Uh, now we've made you know, we made a number of rules, the Guido rule, a number of years ago. That if you played sixty or seventy tests or whatever it was at the time. Uh, you were eligible to come back and play no matter where you were in the world. Um, and I think that's been reduced since then. Um, and I'm seeing players coming back from overseas now um, that I don't quite understand as, as to why they're coming back. You know, what, what is the... Why do you want to stay and play in Australia now? I'll go overseas, play for more money, yet I'm still eligible to, to play for Australia. Now, I don't know what the rules are exactly at the present time, whether there's still a, a, a limit of the number of games you must have played or for Australia. But I think it's just becoming too easy for, for players to go overseas and, and not and to be rewarded that way. I mean, to be on a hell of a lot more money they'd be receiving in Australia. Um, you know, whether it be, you know, whether in Europe or wherever they may be. Um, um, states, I suppose, to a lesser extent. Uh, not that I know how much money people get this day, this day and age, but... We've got to make it more difficult to want to, to, want to stay and play. Um, and the other thing I don't understand is how we assess the form of all these players overseas. We've got to assess the form of players in Japan, um, France, um, England, Ireland, wherever. I, I don't quite know. Is it word of mouth? Is there, is there well, some kind of, you know, like, a, are they rating or, you yeah, know? Like? He, they must have 33 analysts now. If you're going to keep <laughs> analysing all these games... And then who assesses the form? Is it the coach? The coach couldn't possibly have the time to do no. all that, to watch all the games where these players are playing. Mm. Um, so I'm not quite sure how we assess their form uh, or the fact that they're playing in the, in the premiership over in England, so that's good enough. Well, you know, I don't think it is. And the people who are here, yeah, they're getting an opportunity that they wouldn't have got if these players wouldn't have gone. But at the same time, you know, I, I just I, I can't agree with it. I just can't agree with it. Um, all about the money, Al. Eh? Well, what, the money. I, I don't knock the money, money, mate. They they go, and it's uh, it's very very wealthy, very very worthwhile. These players going playing very overseas lucky, because yeah. the money, the money some of these people will be getting. Um, and I, I'm not saying the decision they're taking is wrong. I just think the decision of saying you're eligible still to play for Australia mm. isn't right. Yeah. Is that because we've chased success? You know, obviously you're, you're moving the well, goalposts down, down, Is down. Success a paycheck. Well, no, I mean for you know Rugby Australia or the, you know the Wallabies, if you're trying to source the best talent and then giving them exactly what they want at the start of this, saying okay, well you can come back. We don't care about the money. Is that because we're just so gung ho on chasing some kind of success that we're we're able to bastardise <laughs> that? Um, for want of a better expression, that jersey, because oh, I go the other way. I think that they're obviously leaving for the paycheck. They're not, you know, if if they, um, as Al said, if they weren't eligible to come back and play for the Wallabies, would they go? This is that, more. No, that's more that, to my that's point. The que- that's, that's the question. The point. To me. You know, yeah, that's, that's the would point. Would they go? Yeah, that's right. And they, so there's no decision. You can have your cake and eat it too. Yes, yes. But in life. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, you don't get that. Yeah. You don't get that. Yeah. You've got to make. You know what I mean? You've got to choose your. 
choose your disappointment, you know? So whether it's I'm, I'm going to Japan to, to earn $6 million and I'll never wear the Wallaby jersey again, I think that'd weigh a bit harder on, you know, on certain players than, you know, then I'm going to stay here and I'm going to build a legacy. So, you know, I think really, like you're saying, there has to be a line in the sand. Yeah. Um, and whether they redefine success being <laughs> we're going to, you know, we're going to basically stick and pick and decide on a culture for this for yeah. for our game moving forward, or we're just going to sit there and pick cherry pick every single solution that we can think of. So I remember in my last game in '97 at Warringah, that was the first year that money came into the game. It became professional, and um, you know we yep. lost a lot of culture at Warringah. Yeah, super um, rubbish started '97. You're right. They came, you know, people came from Gordon, they came from Eastwood, they came from Manly because they just wanted that $500 a win, and it it, it Killed the culture in the club, you know. The boys wouldn't even hang around and have so a beer. So Warringah paid money and they still couldn't win the comp. I didn't say that. Wow, wow, shot return. <laughs> oh, no, shot return. It was only a very simple question. <laughs> I heard it here. So, yeah, but, it, but it, you know, it changed the culture. The money changed changed the game. You know, they didn't hang around and have a beer after the game. You know, they'd drive home straight after. And um, I don't know. I think sometimes in society, I mean, you you know, we had dinner the other night with Junior Pierce, a legend from the Tigers, and. Um, you know, one club man. How awesome is his legacy? You know that he's left the game of rugby yeah. league, and you know if I if I had more time, um, and I think a lot of people, you know, if you could just have one club and and became that 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 awesome figure in that club. I mean, I don't know where we actually went wrong in society. You know, what decade it, it actually turned. You know, like I looked at the rugby league superstars of the 80s, and they were just amazing. You know, and um, they live for their club. They you all know. work too. Yeah, and you played. Yeah. You, you know where you worked, you played, and you lived, and the community was amazing. But you look around now, and I don't know. I don't know how we fix it. Oh, I, I don't really know the answer no. either, mate. You know, but I, I, I would go down that path about. You know, I know that when it was brought in, uh, it was to protect guys like Guido and that. You know, towards the end of their career, um, from the allow, allow them to go overseas to yeah. to earn a bit of money. Yeah. Um, but then they opened it up by saying, you know, if you've had played sixty tests or seventy tests or whatever it was, I can't remember. Hmm. Um, you're eligible to come back and play. Uh, but as I said, I, I don't know who assesses their form overseas. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you can get... There's videos, obviously, but you know, I don't know how many videos you can watch. Mm. Um, and who are you playing against? And actually, too, yeah. who is assessing it? Yeah. Well, uh, uh, yeah. You don't know, and you don't know what instructions have been given to that player by the individual coach of the day, yep. you know, whether he's defending a certain way or... Exactly. Uh, right. Trying to find out all the, all the nitty-gritty uh, mm. would be very, very difficult. Well, it's, it's you're trying to herd a butterfly into a net with a chopstick, really. You know, it's it's just mm. horses for courses. And I think uh, my comment before, just about building a culture, I think that's that's basically where the majority of games go very, very well. Or the majority of organisations do well. <laughs> if you've got a good culture, you're strong, you go well. You look at other sporting franchises, All Blacks, fantastic culture. Mm. For the most part, yeah. Melbourne Storm, fantastic culture. Uh, Trade know, and construction school. Trade and construction school. Uh, fantastic culture. Fantastic culture. But it's it's all about the culture. And, and as soon as you as you let somebody uh, go away and do something, and get somebody you know get an entitlement or something they're not you that would not usually be entitled to, that's when your culture starts to starts to really kind of 
Wayne, I believe, mm. and um, you could uh, you could probably reference that to to most military or you know protection kind of or or emergency services. As soon as somebody is allowed something that the rest of the team's not, it's the it's the uh, <laughs> it's the kind of it's the <coughs> it's the short step or the uh, the slippery slope to destruction. You might be able to um, elaborate on this because I don't really know. Did I hear that? Uh, Soali from East may be coming back to Union or they're, they're looking to get him? They're, they're making a big play at him. So I think it's a $10 million contract over five or six years. I think they're, they're wanting to chase him in a big way. But he's playing for Tonga, isn't he, in the World Cup? He's playing for Tonga in the World Cup. There's mm. another, yeah. So as a leaguey, that's a bit tragic for me. As he's got clauses in his, in his contract too every year. What about clauses? Really? Yeah, to rugby, I think. At any any year. At the end of it, at the start of every year, he's got. An well, that's one whole thing I don't even understand. A contract is a contract. You don't break your contract. Even the Parramatta player, Papali, he signed a contract to go to the Tigers. Yeah. But he doesn't want to go. Oh, well, what, know, would you? you know the black dude? Well, yeah. Bad, bad, you know, bad culture. Saying, bad culture. Right? I'll probably just sit out. <laughs> this conversation's yeah, going yeah, 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 yeah. Um, You'd have to stay much better options staying at Parramatta, wouldn't you? Oh, but you kidding? You play for free for Parramatta. <laughs> what they make one grand final, but they they last one in '86. Please, come on. Well, what about what about the great Stone? You know, Stone the Crow, Mick Cronin. There was no contracts. Gordon Taylor yeah, said that. Your word was your bond. Yeah. Your word was your bond. Yeah. He Gordon. didn't. He didn't sign a contract his entire in his entire career. Yeah. He went out the start of the year and shook uh, and shook shook the guy's hand and said, "I'll play for the year for that much." And that was it. Mm. Isn't that yeah, a, you know what I mean? Isn't that a beautiful kind of a you know yeah. what I mean? A scenario to to reminisce about the where where your word was your bond. Gordon Taylor said out a year, didn't he? He sat out a year when yeah, the so George uh, Mangus said out a year. Yep. And he reckons it's fair. He sat out a year. Yep. Signed a contract. Jack DeBellin did the same thing. He sat out for a year. A bit longer than that. Bit longer sure than and was exonerated, exonerated. All right, this is starting to... Uh, there. No, uh, I, think, I think this Lali thing is interesting. It is interesting. I think it is. He's a fantastic talent in either he game. He's big, he's bold, uh, he's tough as... I know when he was coming through at 16... Um, uh, rumor has it that Sam Burgess wanted to see what was under the hood and stuck it to him for for a whole session. And by the end of it, Suwali's given back. There's a 16 year old kid still in high school, year 10 or year 11, absolutely given it to possibly one of the biggest humans you'd ever want to see, and one of the toughest, Sam yeah. Burgess. You know, like yeah. he's, you know, he's. I think he's the real deal. What know? school did he go to, Suwali? Uh, he, he went to Kings. Yeah. Did he? Yeah, with Panasini? Yes. I think you're right. Yes, yes. I think it was. Yeah, too. yeah, it was. Will <coughs> Panasini, yeah, him and they were, yeah, yeah. they were classmates. But, but yeah. you know, hell of a... Um, <coughs> well, you know, look at a lot of those players over recent time, you know, Crichton and these sort of guys have all come through that system with, yeah. with private schools. Cameron um, Murray. Cameron Murray. He's obviously, yeah. You know, I, had a bit of, I had a bit to do with Newington back in those days when Cameron was playing 12. <laughs> yep. Um, um, and I've mentioned it to Rosie that, I've never heard a, a quieter guy in a rugby field um, really? than Cameron Murray playing 12. But, you know, he probably wasn't confident playing there. I don't know. And, you now obviously being a leaguey all his life and coming into a GPS school and being thrust into play 12 at um, the Newington. But, um, you know, great player. He was a great young boy back then and obviously, you know, great player now. Yeah. Great player. A real gentleman, in not he? You just expected the leagueies to, to chat. It was just something that... Yeah. Uh, but... Back then, you know, just probably probably overawed. Yeah, no, you know he I mean? probably was overawed in the fact, you know, being thrust into there. I think he was only in 
he might have been year 10, year 11, year 10, year, 10, year 11 playing first grade at Newington. But obviously a very talented player. First fifteen, you know what I mean. Like in your, yeah. you know, if you if you're just lob first fifteen, you know, like it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a big a thing. thing. It's a My thing. Word. Yeah, <laughs> it's a thing. So anyway, um, what's uh, uh, just very quickly, Al? What's the future hold um, for Al Gaffney? Um, obviously, you've relocated up to the sunny Central Coast. You're loving Terrigal life. Uh, you're in there. You're. Uh, Frequenting the Terrigal Bowling Club way too often, I know. <laughs> hey, we brought him out of retirement too, haven't we, mate? Brought him out of retirement, yeah, doing, a little, out of retirement. doing a little bit of <laughs> consulting, coaching uh, around the Terrigal and Central Coast uh, arena. Oh, mate, no, I haven't done any coaching for a while now. You know, I, I did a little bit when I first came up here. Um, who uh, did you coach, mate? Sorry? Who did you coach? Oh, I, I got involved, a touch with Terrigal. Um, uh, you being the, the premier backs coach, um, <laughs> no, I was I was number two, mate. Um, so I've done a little bit, but it, it becomes a little bit frustrating. Um, not because of the uh, the quality of the player, you know. I, I just, you know, there's certain things, and you know, I'm just I'm just not used to certain things. Sort of being in where I've come from from uh, over a long period of time. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, so the best thing was, you know, just be the. Just be the uh, the guy on the sideline at games and and cheering them on. Now that's that's sort of my only involvement anymore. Yeah, nice. How's the horses street now? Um, yeah, back in a couple of winners, but uh, <coughs> not having many bets anymore. Uh, nothing, nothing like days of old. Nothing um, like days of old. Um, I sort of got a lot older and a touch. Touch wiser, touch wiser. <laughs> touch wiser. <laughs> it's a mugs game anyway, isn't it? It is. It is Definitely. a mugs game. So yeah. on the on the mentoring role, mate. You know, we brought you into um, into the school as a mentor. You got so much, you know, a wealth of knowledge to teach these young kids. Um, we really appreciate you jumping in. Um, we're going to do a lot more of this and, and and talk to the kids. And I just know they're they're very excited. You know, when you met them about a month ago, and we had that uh, that big circle and sort of everyone opened up. And you spoke about about you know your life. It's pretty impressive, mate. And we're very very thankful that um, that you can give us your time and and you know help help these boys along the way. But as you know, Rosie, I mean you you get the opportunity in life. It, it presents itself. Um, you either take the opportunity or you don't take the opportunity. And you're, what you guys have done, you're presenting a fantastic opportunity for kids at the present time. Um, and it's there. Mm. And, you know, the majority of boys should grab it with both hands and run with it um, because, you know, those opportunities don't come every day of your life. Um, no. You know, I was fortunate, I suppose, <coughs> when I took a different, a different curve in life. Um, you know, uh, I didn't have any... I had I had two kids who had completed school and uh, they're at university, but a lot of those commitments were gone. Uh, they could then look after themselves when we went overseas. But you know, I was I was I was probably clear when I when I did those things. I suppose when I left the government, that was a to go into private enterprise. Uh, that was that was a bit of a challenge. But uh, if you you go out and back yourself, um, yeah, and you're confident in your own abilities, um, yeah, you generally will succeed. Yeah, and as a, um, you've been with Caden now for 11 years, mate, and you've obviously seen a lot of change in this organisation, so we started, uh, you know, these kids a couple of years ago, what were your thoughts? Did you think I lost the plot when I said I'm starting a training school and to bring a few of these kids through? Uh, originally, yes, <laughs> but it happens probably every couple of years, you have a bright idea and it always seems to pull off, so yeah. I always had full confidence. Um, look, I think... 
it's hard because there's so much distractions out there for young kids now. Like, I got the back end of social media when I was their age, but I think that's probably number one for them. Like, just just constant thing on their phones, and I think they probably don't realise yet the opportunity they've had. But yeah. I think slowly but surely, most of them are going to come around. And I think even if you get an eighty percent of people buying in, it's better than what, what it was previously. Yeah. So, and even like it's not. I don't think construction's for everyone anyway. So, no. but I feel like you're going to learn some good habits here. For what, no matter no matter what you do, yeah, if you know what I mean, and through life, whatever road you travel down or whatever path you go down, you're going to learn a lot from this trading school. So, yeah, no, I think it's a good thing for a lot of these young kids. So, hopefully, we can give them a bit of structure in their life and a, a bit of drive, and and, and try and keep them on the straight and narrow. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's it. And just yeah. keep giving them an opportunity in life. I think, um, yeah. you know, it's 17 year old boys and girls. It's it's very hard to get. Uh, to get a shot at it, you know what I mean? There's not there's not a lot of job opportunity. I mean, I know everyone says, oh, you know, we need workers in the workplace, but, you know, to, to go out there and find a career and get that drive and that passion to succeed in life, I just, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's very hard to find at the moment, so. it's Yeah, you're right. I think it's pretty hard to get excited about anything mm. because they're so waiting for the next bit of excitement to come through yeah. their communication mm. portal. You know, or, or externally, they're they're unable to to manifest some kind of excitement about their own their own direction or their own life, and I think that's it's something that um, only the very motivated, you know, the the, the top two or three percent of the people could do. But I think it's something we've kind of lost. I know, you know, I know, just having conversations with young people these days, um, how how devoid of any answers they are when you ask them, mm. you know, a fairly direct, what do you want? They go, I don't know. Yeah. It wouldn't happen, you know what I mean? They, you'd say, I don't know yet, you know, even if they could identify what they don't want, mm. that'd yeah. be something. But it's it's basically, <laughs> it's a nothing, you know what I mean? It's nothing. So, you know, a lot of our, you know, a lot of our work obviously uh, will revolve around trying to inspire these young yeah. young young well guys. you look at the difference between our first year kids and our second year so you know after our first year they were they were pretty good but the way these kids have started this year were mm-hmm. ridiculous i mm. mean you know it's like mm. being in the olympics at the starting line between the year 2000 and 2010 yeah you know what i mean they just they knew they're hungry they're they're so keen i was saying to al on the way here today you know i put the option out there to beat the gym at four o'clock this morning i said because we'll, we'll double down at 10 <coughs> o'clock you know when we were <coughs> coming to do this and every single one of them were here you know and it wasn't compulsory and i thought that was amazing you know and i remember you know about a month ago i said to the boys i said oh look i'm just going to come in and you know do a cheeky session myself or whatever and i was one minute late it was one past four i walked into the gym and they're all in there looking at their watches and i had to do a 20 minute penalty row i thought this is crazy but that's the line isn't it that's the line in the sand great attitude yeah What, what would you hope for success rate would you have any sort of ideas of what success rate? Obviously, you'd love 100%. Well, yeah. I, I know I, this is a really good question, and I'll, I'll leave this to Adam to finish, but I know um, we do some work. Uh, we had some consulting and some work with Roger Powell. Uh, he was He's a retired Defence Force um, Major General, and he said that through ADFA, so the Australian Defence Force Academy, they pick their, their best of their best, out of earlier to teach them how to be there, they've got around a 55 to 60% okay. success rate. 
And that's so that yeah. is selecting the yeah. best of the best yeah. in the country. So not only do you have to be a jet in the gym, you've got to be a jet up here, you know, uh, upstairs, um, you know, uh, academically. And they get sixty. They get sixty. They'll be happy with sixty. So our first year, Al, I think it was eighty-four percent. We had interesting. So um, the couple of kids we um, sort of had to let go that they. Um, uh, they couldn't be trusted, I suppose. They couldn't. They just couldn't take that next level. And you know, one of the kids, um, yeah, really let himself down badly. And um, you know, we, we're just here to help, and we want to get them through. We, um, you know, the first month, I suppose, is the hardest. I, I wouldn't say it's like hell week, but <laughs> hell, we get him. We get him into the gym. We toughen them up. So do at least one, if not two, sessions a day, and we're just looking for that mentor to get outside your comfort zone, you know, and and know that they can do it, you know. Like pain is temporary, um, so so we get them there, and you know, uh, big Nancy mate, he gets cranky with them, and then I listen and talk to him, and then Danny gives him a cuddle. So between the three of us, and um, you great. know, we're, we're it's a just, great system. It is, it is, and we were talking about that before. I don't like being the bad cop. Yeah. Um, it's not something that fits very nicely with me because I think I can help everyone, which is probably a detriment to myself. Nagy's ideal for the bad cop. Oh, he loves being the bad cop, Nagy. It's, it's a badge of honour. <laughs> it's a badge of honour. <laughs> yeah, and you know what, as is like me, I don't think he likes being a bad cop either, yeah. but, um, you know, we, we all work as a team and we, we, we try and get them through life, you know, get them through that first year and, and let them believe in themselves and that whole thing about mateship and, and wanting to take a, well, not a bullet, but wanting to go that extra mile for the mates the end of next year, you know. So when we we work all different hours, we work on rail possessions, you know, we're in rain, hail, shine, snow, we're, we're in the whole, all the elements. And, you know, for you, we're on a rail possession, for you to go and bang out the last couple of clips on a rail sleeper, because your mate's absolutely broken, and just say, "Mate, give me that sledgehammer," and that's the culture that I want within this yeah. um, within this training school. I mean, uh, you know, we want a lot of a lot of corporate. We're we're, we're attacking the corporate world at the moment. Um, you know, we just want everyone to understand that these kids uh, they just need a chance in life. And you know, if we can change the culture of, of where where we're going, I mean, you must look from where you are. You know, the, the Aussie in the eighties. The culture in the 90s like there was no stress in life and people were just happy and but now everyone's just so you know so much anxiety and so mm. much stress and you know everyone goes i can't do it i'm so busy i've got no time for myself i've got you know we're, uh, yeah i just don't understand so anyway little by little mate we're going to change the culture yeah. here and um what have we got to lose yeah it, it's very similar to sporting teams isn't it yeah. a, lo- a, lot of, a lot of what you just addressed then. it is yeah um, having the faith in each other and yeah. belief and that's yeah. right yeah any um, high performance group want, it is wanting to work for each other and yeah. Yeah, all that sort of stuff um, mateship yep um, thing. one last thing before we uh, go this is actually not to um, uh, to Alan it's actually to Adam Rose um, you did mention this a little earlier on um, uh, you we were fortunate enough uh, to attend a dinner and your childhood uh, hero, uh, Wayne Pierce, uh, came to um, came to join us for dinner. Now, obviously, um, this is the kind of guy that you probably idolised. Uh, you probably represented the club that your father that your mm. father played for. Mm-hmm. Um, has it changed you a bit in relation to how you now see? see what could be possible in life 
Well, I think um, looking at where I want to take this school, and not just me, but we collectively, um, I want to give these guys a shot at their fulfilling their dreams. I mean, with Wayne Jr. Pierce coming to dinner the other night, um, it rocked my world. I thought, you know, I've had a pretty good life. It takes a fair bit to take the wind out of my sails, but um, yeah, you guys did that the other night. I, um, I was absolutely blown away that, as far as I'm concerned, the hero of my life um, would want to come and sit down to dinner and, and listen to me blabber on for two hours. Um, was ridiculous, um, and if it's made me hungrier to um, to change these kids' lives. So when we um, start doing our one-on-ones now, I want to ask these kids what their heroes, you know, who their heroes are, because between the connections that we've already got in this school, you know, people like Alan, um, you know, knows rugby players all around the world. So for these young kids that we've got, who would you love to have dinner with? Because um, that sort of stuff is amazing. I mean, it's just it's life changing. You know, to have to hug Wayne Pierce, like to even I read, I tried to reach out like ten years ago. I, I thought, how do I actually, you know, how do you meet your hero? I mean, that's that's if you stop and think about that for a second, that is ridiculous mm. to think about. You know, the the person you've idolised your whole life. Yeah. How do you reach out? And I and I didn't, and I didn't know how to. Um, and then he's sitting in front of me at dinner, like. <laughs> Ridiculous, <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. So in this school, you know, I just my, all my staff um, from from the construction school to Caden, I'd love every, I'd love to know everyone's dreams because if I could fulfil that, that would just that would make me so happy. Mm. You've, you've obviously ticked off a massive, massive box, a, a massive life oh. goal for you know, obviously Which, meeting junior. And I never thought I'd ever tick that ever. Uh, more surprising was the fact that you'd had such great energy when you were at dinner. Honestly, oh. I, I, I paused for a moment and, and saw her and you were both sitting across the cross. I went, oh, my God, get a room, you two. Uh, but, no, it was fantastic just to see and it was a, it was it was lovely yeah. there to be. A, a and on that night too, guess who rang me yesterday? Are you serious? Yeah, he reached out. Oh, wow. I couldn't believe wow. it. So, um, he's going hold, over to the World Cup next the week phone. and then when he gets back. And he's... He, I mean, how crazy is this? He actually wants to help out and join this mentoring program. So um, there you go. Well, yeah. Well, well, crazy, yeah. crazy stuff. So yeah. There you go. All right. Well, um, stay tuned. Look, um, a big thank you to uh, obviously all my all my guests here today. Uh, Aaron Malone's taking uh, time out of his busy uh, schedule and his Parramatta Eels uh, ramp up for the grand final. Best of luck. Thank you, mate. Okay. You're uh, still sure with 13 plus, mate, or what? I've, I've, I've paid 20 bucks. What's the best sports sports tab bet, I you reckon? Four, bucks, 20 bucks. Moment, so. four bucks. Four bucks. Four bucks to win the game. Yeah, struggling. Oh, four dollars. Really? Get on 13 like plus. 13 plus yeah. got to be paying like $13. I think it's fair. It? Fair odds, but we'll get there. Yeah, we'll all right. First nice. try scorer, King Para. King Gutho. King Gutho. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> Gutho. Uh, Adam Rose, thank you very much for joining us and uh, sharing your your pearls once again. And a massive thank you to Alan Gaffney, uh, international man of rugby union, mystery and all-round good guy. And hopefully a better punter than me. So uh, thanks very... I'm not flash at that, mate. No, I'm flash at that. (laughs) Thanks very much for joining us uh, today and um, stay tuned for next episode. Uh, I'm sure someone will jump in on here and have have an amazing story and little pearls of wisdom to share. Thanks very much. Thanks Thanks for having us, Danny. See you next week. Thanks, Danny. Bye. Bye.